This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening to Killer Queens. Or KQ if you're nasty. Welcome to the show where two 90s-loving country chicks gab about true crime and tell each other to talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. I'm Torella. And I'm Tori. And we're sisters who have always loved true crime and decided to turn that obsession into a show with a light take on the topic. Kind of like diet true crime, it's all the flavor and fewer calories. Mm. Now with our show, you'll get true crime, 90s nostalgia, and a few four-letter words sprinkled in. Because I always say that Polly Pockets and true crime go together like peas and carrots. Be sure to check out our case submission form on our website at killerqueenspodcast.com and follow us on social media and YouTube. Now grab your Surge, your 3D Cool Ranch Doritos, and your kitten surprise, and let's get into the episode. This podcast contains discussion of child murder and pornography. Listener discretion is advised. On January 21st, 2006, Priscilla Matarazzo called the local police. She couldn't get in touch with her daughter, Rachel Entwistle, or her son-in-law, Neil. The couple had a nine-month-old baby named Lily, so Priscilla was growing increasingly concerned. She'd been to their house, but had no answer. A family friend also stopped by the Entwistle home for a scheduled dinner, but there was no sign of the family anywhere. Police did a quick search of the house, but found nothing out of the ordinary. The next day, Priscilla filed an official missing persons report on her daughter and her family. Police returned to the house for a further search when they noticed a smell coming from the master bedroom. Under the covers, they found the deceased bodies of 27-year-old Rachel and her baby, Lily. Neil was nowhere to be found. Had Rachel murdered her own child, then turned the gun on herself in a deep state of postpartum depression? Or had Neil Entwistle fled the home after brutally murdering his family? Hey, you guys, welcome to Killer Queens. If you've never been here before, we want to give you just a little information about how the show is set up and what it's meant to accomplish. If you have been here before, welcome back. You can just use that handy skip ahead feature here if you want to. We want to give a message to friends and family of the victims. We know that there may be someone involved in the case who might listen one day, and we want you to know that our intention is to only bring awareness to this case. And while we do use personal stories in some instances and our own humor in order to tell the story in a way that listeners can relate, we have the utmost respect for victims and their families. We created Killer Queens to be a place where we can have open discussions about cases just like you would with friends. We are not investigators. We use information that is available to the public, such as documentaries, case files, and media coverage. Using this information, we intend to tell the story of what happened in each case that we cover. Now, will you agree with our interpretations or conclusions of each case? Well, heck no. Mm-mm. We each approach cases from different perspectives, life experiences, and beliefs that we already have in place. And sometimes these differences are slight, yet they can be wide enough to cause divide and upset some of those listening. We do our best to present the facts as we find them in our research, but we do bring our own perspectives to the case. We understand that you will too. We want you to know that this is a safe space to discuss differences in opinions in a civilized manner. 
Our style may not be your personal preference, and if that's the case, we know you'll be able to find one of the many other shows out there to tell the story the way you want to hear it. We can be grown-ups about it if you can. Now, if we are your cup of tea and you want even more KQ, you can join our Patreon and get access to our entire catalog of episodes ad-free and access to bonus episodes too. And I'll give you just a little hint if you're an ad skipper, um, but you still want the deals that we have from our sponsors each week, you can scroll down to the show notes and see what coupons we have available for you right down there. But you didn't hear it from us. Mm -mm, mm -mm, That's a pro tip, but I'll deny ever sharing it. Right. So all that being said, let's get into the story. Well, hey, you guys. Welcome to Killer Queens. Welcome. We came in hot with that overview. We really did. Yeah. Yeah, That that's a, this is a crazy case. I actually, I, and I hope everybody understands what I mean by this. Like when I saw it on the schedule, I didn't immediately, it sounded familiar, but I didn't immediately recognize, like put together exactly what case it was. Um, I mean, we've got what, like 500 episodes that we've done already. So we've covered a lot. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of names kind of floating around in this old noggin. Um, and as soon as I started reading about it again, I was like, oh my gosh, I remember this. Right. It's so crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. My first thought, because I did not know the case, full disclaimer, full disclosure, didn't know the case, but I know Peg and Whistle. Who? Am I supposed to know that? She was, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, she was a, a an actress, maybe in the 20s, the 30s, oh, 40s. Nice. And she died tragically. Oh, no. She was part of the um, Dead Blondes series on oh. You Must Remember This, Peg and Whistle. Yes. Oh, my gosh. We should do that. Yeah. I mean, is it true crime? Like, not necessarily? No, not necessarily. I don't know. I still think our listeners would find it really interesting. If I'm remembering correctly, Peg and Whistle, um, I know she had a lot of other, or if if this is the the case that I'm, or the person that I'm remembering correctly, there's somebody, and I think it's Peg, that she had other issues going on, but she also had had to keep her hair platinum blonde, and she had to um, color it or um, lighten it like once a week or every couple days and all the chemicals got into hers. I remember you telling me about this. Yes. I think it was Peg and Whistle. Yes. I do remember that. Oh yeah. I think that might be something interesting to do. Like, I don't know, on a mixtape or a, I don't know, something. Couldn't be a dog jam, but, um, it maybe could be an extra, little bonus episode or something. Yeah, something. Because I I think it's really interesting. And you were really, really interested. I was very interested. Yes. Um, All right. Well, um, we've already gotten off topic a little bit here. Mm -hmm. A lot of it, I guess. Um, All right. If you've never been here before, we do have just a little quick uh, info sesh. If you have been here before, you can skip right on ahead. But we do just want to Oh my. That's okay. We do just want to let you know that um you know this show is a little bit different uh in the sense that we bring a lighter perspective to telling true crime stories and this is just a way to get, you know, some other people to relate to it. So if that's your cup of tea, great. If it's not your cup of tea, great. 
switch it off now. Go find a super serious podcast. We have a little bit of banter. We're sisters. We do that. We bring in some references and quotes and all kinds of things. So we just kind of want to let you know. Yes, absolutely. And we want this to feel like you are at brunch, at lunch, hanging out with a friend, just chatting with your BFF Mm -hmm. about true crime. Yes. So, you know, while we do use some humor to tell the story in a way that listeners can relate, we have the utmost respect for victims and their families. You are never going to hear anything disrespectful to them. You may not agree with our interpretation of the case. You may not agree with how we feel about the case. That's totally fine. We can be adults if you can. Um, Now, if that is your cup of tea and you want even more KQ, you can join our Patreon and get access to our entire catalog of episodes ad-free and access to our bonus episodes too. And I'll give you like a, a little hint kind of a hack. If you're an ad skipper, but you still want the deals that we get from our sponsors, if you just scroll below this episode where you're listening, there's show notes and the links are right there for you. You can just find out what kind of coupons we got going on this week. Yay. Yay. All right. Now that being said, let's jump right into it. Yes. Terrell, tell me who the whistles were. Neil Entwistle was born on September 18th, 1978 in Nottinghamshire, England to parents Clifford and Yvonne. He had a younger brother named Russell. His father was a coal miner and his mother was a cook at a school cafeteria. The Entwistle family was a typical middle-class family. He studied at the University of York where he obtained a master's degree in electronic engineering. As a child, Neil loved taking things apart and figuring out how they worked. And his parents were shocked and excited when Neil's teachers told them that they thought he was college material. He was the first of the Entwistle family to attend and graduate from college. We're still waiting on that in our family, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Maybe maybe one of my kids will be the one, you know? I don't know. Maybe, we'll yeah. I don't think going to college for a few months and then falling down and then dropping out That counts. still deserves an award. Okay, so I am, I'm the first member of the family, I'm the only member of the family, to go to college for several months Um, fall down at college, and then subsequently withdraw because of embarrassment. (laughs) You deserve an award. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Rachel Elizabeth Souza was born on December 14th, 1978 in Weymouth, Massachusetts to Priscilla and Paul. She had a brother named Jerome. After Rachel's father passed away, her mother remarried to a man named Joseph Matarazzo, who gave her several step-siblings, Joseph, Michael, Mary Beth, Erica, Anthony, and Zachary. That's a lot of step-siblings. Holy moly. And that's, so her mom, Priscilla, had, gave birth to Rachel, Paul, and then, so that's two, and then we got Joseph, Michael, Mary Beth, Erica, Anthony's, oh my gosh, that's eight children. Mm-hmm. That hurts me. Was Paul Paul Jerome or Jerome Paul? Or? I don't know. It doesn't say. I didn't like. I didn't do their whole twenty three and Me or anything. Oh, okay. Unfortunately, um, that's crazy. That's a lot of. That's a lot of pregnancies. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Um, her friends described her as sprightly and full of energy. She had a sparkle in her eyes that just made everyone she met fall in love with her. And that was a quote. While attending... My mouth just did eight N's in that word. While attending... <laughs> Remix. Whoopsies. 
While attending the University of York in 1999, Neil met Rachel, who was studying abroad from her Massachusetts school, the College of the Holy Cross. They met through the university's rowing club. Hmm. Rachel was a coxswain for the team. I guess that's how you say it. Yeah. I hope. Um, Which is the person who was essentially in charge of navigating and steering the boat. She didn't row, but she got to yell out commands to all of the men rowing. That sounds like I could be on the rowing team. (laughs) If you understood directions. Do you have to use words like northwest, south, or just left and right? Will that do? I'm not sure about that. Okay. Well, I finally found my sport, a sport that I don't have to catch or throw a ball. I don't have to do any work at all. I can just yell at people. <laughs> Boom. You do You do have to have a sense of direction, like I said, but um, I'm proud of you. Figure that out. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe I'll get a scholarship for rowing. <laughs> just kidding. Absolutely not. Yeah. One of the students who rode with them said that Neil was pretty quiet and was kind of more of a homebody while Rachel was that like outgoing, bubbly, more positive person. You know what Paula Abdul says? Opposites attract. Opposites attract. I know. And Neil just threw it right down the GD toilet, didn't he? Yes, he did. I guess you don't throw it down the toilet. Yeah. It depends on who you're talking to. I guess that's true. Flushed it down the toilet. Ben did throw my clothes in the toilet. See, that's what I was going to say. Your children have thrown stuff down the toilet. So (laughs) That's true. All right. So I stand by my that. Throw it down the toilet. Yes. Um, She was described as something of a novelty due to being American. This is really funny because like here, if somebody, you know, comes over and they have, like I'm thinking of uh, Love Actually when... What is, is this? Colin? Bottle? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yes. And he comes over and yeah, they're just like asking him to say words because they're like, oh, he's British. It's and Colin Christian. Frizzle. Colin and Frizzle. he's got a big knob. God of sex. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, that's, I don't know. It's It's funny to me to think about that being the other way around where like overseas that like being American would be exciting to people because yeah. it's just like, you know, big one for us. Yeah. It's just kind of funny to think about it the other way around. Um, the men's rowing squad really liked having her on the team. Great. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Rachel and Neil soon developed a relationship and appeared to be a very loving couple. She described him to her friends back in the U.S. as her knight in shining armor. Mm-hmm. Her friends approved of Neil and said that they often saw him opening doors for her. He truly seemed to adore her. 
So she had to go back to Massachusetts by the end of the summer in 2000 to finish her senior year at Holy Cross. She graduated in 2001, and she literally turned right back around and went right back to England, where she enrolled in a teaching program, and she and Neil picked up right where they'd left off. Like, they they spent the least amount of time apart as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. They were, like, scooper-duper in love. <laughs> In 2002, Rachel began teaching drama and English at a high school, and Neil worked in computers at IBM and Kinetech. I guess. It's just a bunch of cues. I don't know. Yeah. Um, The couple's relationship blossomed, and the two were finally married in the city of Plymouth, Massachusetts, in August of 2003, with a ceremony in England following shortly after. And Rachel loved being a teacher. She seemed to be really, really happy. Um, Neil created a website for the couple to post photos to share with family and friends since they were still living in England. Um, I guess this was like before, like you could really use Facebook for that. Cause this was Facebook even a thing in 03. I know there was a time it was. when it was just for college students and uh-huh. you had to put your, where you went, attended college to even get a Facebook account. I feel like that was like 06, 07. So Facebook might not have been a thing quite yet. Maybe not. So I was like, why did he have to build his own website? This is just the, even the days older I get, the more it hurts my feelings when I look back at stuff and I'm like, dear God, that was 20 years ago. I know. Well, but I mean, MySpace was a thing and you could upload photos there. Mm -hmm. But old people couldn't really do the MySpace, could they? I guess not. Probably couldn't do the Facebook either. So yeah. There you have it. Websites. But I mean, also, designing your own website in 2003, that was tough. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I designed my own travel agency website, like travel agent website in, when did I live in California? 07. Mm. And that shit was hard. I bet. Like you had to HTML code. code. You couldn't like, yeah, get a Squarespace or a Wix or whatever. Like... Yeah, it was hard. So, I mean, that's that's a lot of work just to be able to, like, share pictures. And that was yeah. kind of a novel, I would think, idea at the time. On April 9th, 2005, Neil and Rachel welcomed their first daughter, Lillian Rose, and they nicknamed her Lily Bean. A few months after Lily's birth, the family moved to Massachusetts so they could be closer to Rachel's family. And when they first moved there, they moved in with Rachel's mother and stepfather. But on January 12th, 2006... The Entwistles moved to their own home in the town of Hopkinton, which is about an hour from Rachel's parents' house. Rachel's parents' house. <laughs> Rachel parent house. <laughs> so like a toddler. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they signed a three-month lease on the home with the rent of $2,700 a month. They were also leasing a BMW SUV for $400 a month. That's going to come into play. Yeah. It's a lot of money going out. Especially yeah, from remember. the early 2000s. Oh, yeah. And they're very young. I mean, mm-hmm. brand new family starting out. And remember, they moved in on January 12th. Yeah. I also want to say, I don't know if this is the case everywhere in the country or the world, but Massachusetts, here, it's not uncommon to hear a Massachusetts. Yes. Massachusetts. I don't know how I feel I don't about understand it. why. Don't, there ain't no tea there. Mm-mm. But anyway. On Saturday, January God, what am I so about after lunch? 
On Saturday, January 21st, 2006, Priscilla, Rachel's mother, called the local police at 8.25 p.m. She told them that she was unable to get in touch with her 27-year-old daughter. Priscilla said that she was supposed to have lunch with her that afternoon, and she'd gone to the house in Hopkinton, but nobody answered the door, and she couldn't reach Rachel or Neil on their phones. Priscilla left a note on the door and drove back home. She was worried, but she didn't become overly concerned until later that evening. Rachel's friend, Joanna Gately, and her sister Maureen were planning on arriving at the Entwistle home around 5 on the same day. It's 5 p.m. They called and left Rachel a voicemail telling her that they were running late, but they had never heard back. So the two arrived at the home at 7.15 p.m., but nobody answered the door. The, they're running quite late. Two over two hours late, yeah. <laughs> They're like, hey, girl, we're supposed to be there at five. We're running just a little behind. And then they get there at 7.15. Two hours late, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, that's exceedingly late, my yeah. friend, but okay. But it didn't, I mean, it didn't really matter because they weren't no. there and didn't answer. Yeah. Some it's the- just like, it's just one way. It's like, I, I just let them know that I was running behind that's classic i think that's like five minutes right not like two hours but But i have learned doing hair and probably anything where you have to do appointments that kind of situation where somebody's like hey i'm i'm right around the corner that's 15 minutes at least oh yeah if somebody says i'm gonna be five minutes late that's 20 like I know already. So oh, I'm call a spade big a spade. liar. Yeah, I'm a big liar when I'm telling people my ETA. Yep. I'm like, I just turned on the street that it's supposed to be on and I'm like leaving my house. Uh-huh. Like it, 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 close enough. <laughs> Some of the lights were on in the house and they could hear the it whistles dog barking. And this was a basset hound named Sally, right? Yeah. Cutie. Cutie. They tried calling Rachel, but she didn't pick up. They called Priscilla and told them they were concerned about Rachel, Neil, and Lily. Priscilla, now worried about her daughter, son-in-law, and granddaughter's safety, called the police. Patricia told the investigator—wait. Priscilla. Yep. Okay. You're right. Priscilla told the investigator over the phone that both she and Joanne had spoken with Rachel on Thursday, two days prior, and everything seemed normal. They'd made plans for the Saturday, and the officer told Priscilla that they'd send someone out to the Entwistle's home. She advised them that she advised them that Joanna and Maureen were still at the house, and they were hoping that the family would arrive. I do appreciate, like, you know, again, these are adults— you know, over 18 years of age, they're in their 20s. I do appreciate that the pol- the police were like really nice to them on the phone. Yes. And they were like, they're like, oh yeah, that, what's the name of that complex, uh, that neighborhood they live in? They're like, yeah, 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 that's the name of it. Uh-huh. And they're like, okay, okay, okay. Well, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll send some, we'll send somebody over. Don't worry. Like they, you know, I mean, well, we've just heard it so many times being like, well, they're adults, like can do whatever they want. You gotta right. Wait 24 hours. Like, and being quite dismissive, but this guy, because I have heard the, the call from Priscilla to mm-hmm. the police and she's explaining it's Joanna and her sister Maureen, but uh-huh. he gets mistaken. He thinks that it is, it's Rachel's sister uh-huh. Maureen. And he's like, okay, so you're saying it's Joanna and then Rachel's sister Maureen. And she's like, no, it's not, it's not Rachel's sister. It's the friend's sister. Oh, I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> he's so nice. He's I love so nice. I, have to fight every everything in me to not try to do it because I love a Massachusetts oh my gosh, it's so accent. Fun. I just tried to like think about it in my head, trying to say like how he said 
let you know about something in your in your daughter data your data data okay i can't do it anyway your data that's great yeah and i always because I, I can't remember what he said it was something you know smart or something like that i can't remember i always want instead of smart it's whatever but i just i want to do it so bad and i know that i'm i'm awful at it yeah. i know that well, i'm not, not good at it i am you're I've had quite a bit of practice between yesterday and today, but... um, Sure, sure. Yeah, and don't even get me started if I watch The Town. (laughs) Nope. I love that movie. Nope. Can't handle it. Okay. Okay. So, two officers, including Sergeant Sutton, made their way to the house where Joanna told them that it was very unlikely that the couple would leave their dog alone for this long. There was no movement through the windows, and nobody answers when officers knocked. They decided to enter the home and pick the lock on the front door, and they found that the family's vehicle was missing from the garage. Nothing appeared abnormal on the main floor, but there were a few lights on along with the TV and the dog was in its crate. Upstairs, the bathtub was filled with water and a few toys. There was classical music playing on the radio in Lily's room, and the officers stepped into the master bedroom where they saw a large white comforter piled in the middle of the bed. Other than the unmade bed, nothing looked abnormal. They let Joanna and Maureen into the house so they could leave a note for the family and to take the dog for a walk. Joanna and Maureen hung out in the driveway until the early morning hours, but Rachel and Neil never arrived. Man, I mean, they're like... They're good friends, man. Yeah. On Sunday, January 22nd, Priscilla called the police again. She asked them what they recommended that she do from here. Nobody had seen or heard from Neil or Rachel, and Priscilla told them that this was extremely abnormal for her daughter, that she would often, she would call her a lot. Mm -hmm. So at 5 p.m., Priscilla and her husband, Joe, went to file an official missing persons report. Investigators returned to the Entwistle home and interviewed the neighbors, but since the Entwistles had only moved in less than two weeks before that, they hadn't had much interaction with their neighbors. Sergeant Sutton and another officer decided to conduct a second search of the home, and this time they entered through the basement. They immediately noticed an odd smell, and they later described it as smelling like dirty diapers. Um, Sutton said that that the smell wasn't there the previous day, though. They continued up the stairs. They followed the smell, which seemed to be coming from the master bedroom. Nothing appeared to be different in the room, still no signs of a struggle, the bed still unmade. Detective Sutton walked closer to the bed and saw a pair of reading glasses and a watch on the floor. Then he pulled back a corner of the comforter and he saw an adult foot sticking out. He walked around the bed and pulled another corner of the comforter and saw a small face. As he moved the comforter out of the way, Sutton saw that Rachel was laying on the bed with her arm draped across nine-month-old Lily, and both mother and daughter were obviously dead. Wouldn't you think the bathtub full of water would have? Doesn't that seem really odd? I mean, yeah. Like, like something happened to them in the middle of, and a routine of a bath. Yeah, like a, the middle of like a morning routine or something. Yeah, or even an evening routine. But yeah. nobody, nobody saw any activity in the house or and the. Well, I mean, I guess you can. Kids go to bed really early, so maybe the bath. Anyway, I'm getting out of. Uh, away. Yeah. Oh, this is getting away from me, but it's just weird that like I don't know. I mean. I guess, you know, you don't know what you would do. But this is also an area where there's not a whole lot of crime. There's not a lot of murders. Like, I don't know. I just, like, there's still water in the bathtub. Mm -hmm. It's still full. There's toys floating in it. There's classical music coming from the baby's room. Like, it's like like somebody plucked them up out of 
you know, just it, what they were in the middle of doing. Mm-hmm. It's very odd. And like with the bed, if you look at a picture of what the bed looked like, it's not readily apparent that there are bodies underneath the covers. But the covers are like laid up on the bed in kind of a strange way. Mm. I don't know. It's just interesting that I wonder next day. I wonder how much you can do during because at that the first we'll call That's it a search true. is more like a welfare check. Yeah. You may yeah, you may not be able to look underneath things or Yeah, you might not be able to disturb or touch anything. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the laws are because if it is like a welfare check, like what if somebody is in a closet or so, you know, right. like, yeah, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. The whole thing is just so sad. The initial officers on scene didn't see any signs of foul play. And they actually thought that Rachel and Lillian had possibly succumbed to carbon monoxide poisoning. Like looking at them, they looked like they were just asleep. Mm. They searched the rest of the house looking for a third body, but Neil was nowhere to be found. When the bodies were removed from the bed, they found bloodstains on Rachel and Lily's clothing and on the bedding. There was a small hole in the front of Lily's onesie, and the back was covered in brown and red blood, with another hole in the center of the back. It's so sad. She had died from a single gunshot wound to the torso. Evidence was later found that showed that the shot was a contact shot, so that meant that the gun had been pressed against her torso and fired. Stop. That's horrific. Mm-hmm. It's horrific to do to any living thing, mm-hmm. but a baby. And terms that we're talking about a onesie, that mm-hmm. really drives it home. Yeah. How young we're talking here. Yeah. The same bullet that had killed Lily had lodged itself in Rachel's torso, but that was not her cause of death. A small bullet hole was found on Rachel's forehead that was initially undetectable to police because it was so small. The wounds were believed to have come from a 22 caliber handgun. Like, I did not realize how teeny tiny those bullets are. I didn't either. I don't have a lot of experience with guns or bullets or anything. But, I mean, they they looked right at her and didn't see that in her forehead. It's right. Crazy. That is insane, yeah. Um, the following day on January 23rd, the district attorney announced that they were investigating the deaths of Rachel and Lily and Whistle as homicides. Um, but the investigators continued to search for Neil. They didn't want to immediately put suspicion on Neil. I mean, this, this could have been the murder of an entire family and maybe they were going to find Neil's body elsewhere. Um, they might find him injured somewhere. So they didn't want to immediately say, he had done this. Priscilla and Joe tried to give the police as much information as they could until they began to realize some odd things about their son-in-law. You know, the police are asking them questions. What does he do for work? Where does he, you know, can we go talk to his place of employment for more information, stuff like that? And they were like, uh, I, I, I actually don't know what he does for work mm-hmm. now that you mention it. Um, he hadn't gotten a job yet since they'd moved to the States. Um, and Priscilla and Joe said he was just really vague when they brought it up. They also noticed that he never used cash, only credit cards, which, I don't know, maybe at that time would have been more... Right. I mean, now it's not... Unco- I barely, if ever, have any cash on me. Yeah. Like, it's... I have to go way the fuck out of my way to get cash. Yeah. For sure. 
Um, Priscilla and Joe knew, you know, they had recently signed this lease for their house. They had the car that they were leasing. And remember, those things right there are, what, $3,300 a month or something like that? $3,100 a month? Mm. But they don't know where any of this money is coming from. Neil is not working. And they said that Neil would always just reassure Rachel and her parents, hey, everything's fine financially. Don't you worry about it. Our money is just tied up in offshore accounts. That's all. I've met someone, not personally, but through the wonders of the television set, met a woman named (laughs) um, Anna Delvey. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Now, she has taught me that you can't trust anybody that's like, oh, I can't get, well, do the Anna Delvey voice. I just don't even know if I can anymore. You're so good at it, though. Something about, you know, my money is in Switzerland and, you know, I can't, I can't overnight it or something. Do you take a wire? Yes, the wire transfer. <laughs> yes. Awful. It, Yeah. I just have learned my lesson. What are you, Paul? <laughs> exactly. But that, I don't trust, I, I know too much about this case to even believe it already, but right. offshore accounts, their money's just tied up. Like, that doesn't make any sense. How long is it tied up for? Because y'all right. been in the States now for months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've never gotten a job. Like, he would tell Joe and Priscilla that he was doing, like, computer stuff for money. But he never would tell them what he was doing. And he wouldn't tell them what company he worked for. And he wouldn't tell them, like, any of that stuff. It was just like, oh, I, I got to go do some computer stuff. Right. And they're like, I mean, okay. So it's just strange. and And it seems like they were... Even if Neil was working, it seemed to Joe and Priscilla, like even if he was doing these little odd jobs that he was kind of making it seem like he was doing, they're still living way above their means. 100%. Yeah. So everybody's just like, where where did they get this money? Like, Well, and I'm sure it's really hard, especially coming from the in-laws perspective, to try to get more information from your son-in-law without it sounding like you're accusing him. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, and the house that they lived in was not like some teeny little house. I mean, it was a good-sized house that had a nice yard. Like, it was in a really nice area. I wonder why they ended up leaving. I mean, I can understand it's not the most fun probably to live at your in-law's house, but you got it pretty much made. You've got built-in child exactly. care. Exactly. Yeah. You can save money while yes. you're there. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a status thing for Neil. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I've got this. Look at what I've got. Look at yeah. what I'm doing. I think that only really works if you are actually achieving it and paying for it. And exactly, you know, that's that's the kicker there. I mean, I'm going to pull a quote from it, the oh. chapter one. It's really sad to watch a paper man crumble. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I said it. OK. Investigators were able to locate the family's SUV. It was parked in the lot at Boston Logan International Airport, and the keys were locked inside. They also found that at 5 a.m. on January 21st, the day that Priscilla had first contacted police, Neil had purchased a one-way plane ticket to London. When he got to London, he got a rental car. He drove around aimlessly for 800 miles 
And then he stopped at a hotel that was about an hour from his parents' home. Why? What the fuck? Yeah. Now, assuming that Neil was at his parents' house in Worksop, England, police contacted him immediately. So we have a little bit of this phone call to play for you guys. His dad answers the phone first and they're like, hey, I'm looking for Neil Entwistle. Is he there? And his dad is kind of weird on the phone. Don't you think at first? He's like, hang on a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm the father here. Yeah, I'm the father. And he's like, okay, cool. I'm glad you're his father. I don't need to fucking talk to you. I need to talk (laughs) to your son. And he's a grown up. Yeah. And he almost acts like he, he has this like a hint of a almost like he doesn't want to put him on the phone. And then he goes, hang on, and puts him on. Yeah. I mean, he says it all British-like, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it's much more eloquent and beautiful than the way you just said it. But exactly. yeah, you can tell that there's some reservation and hesitation to give Neil the phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, uh, whatever. I look, keep talking because I'm going to ruin it. Yeah, okay. It's going to get ruined. Don't ruin it. Um. So... He gives the phone to his son. So Neil gets on the phone, and this is Trooper Robert Manning. With I love Robert State Manning. I love him. I love all of the troopers and all of the detectives in Massachusetts. Okay, yes, of course. Um, now, what Manning is wanting to do is to notify Neil Entwistle that, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but your wife and daughter are dead. But um, go ahead and just listen to his reaction. Hi, is this Neil? It is, yes. Neil, this is Bob Manning. I'm a trooper with the Massachusetts State Police. Hi. How are you? Uh, I'm calling you because we have some bad news about your wife and your daughter. Yeah. We responded to the house and that they're deceased. Yeah. Do you know that? I did. You did? Yeah. Can Can you talk to me for a few minutes? Uh, I, yeah. Okay. So you're telling me he knew about it? Okay, what in the world? He And it, just the way that he's like, because when he's like, yeah, I need to let you know about some some awful news or some sad news or something about your wife and daughter. And he goes, yeah. And yeah, he's like, he does well, that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, uh, you can you can hear him just be totally taken aback. And he's like, uh, uh, okay. And so he goes on and tells him. And then he's just like, you know, that they're dead. And he's like, Yeah. <laughs> it's Neil's it's reaction and. is almost like, yeah. Are, and do you have something important to tell me, or yeah. what, what are you we doing interrupted here? my day for this? Exactly. And he's like, okay, so you already knew that. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> I already knew that. So he's like, how? Yeah. Can you please? Okay, I need. Can you please talk to me because I need to know. Like, how do you already know that? Mm-hmm. How do you know that? What happened? So Neil tells him, okay. We got up Friday morning. I left to go run some errands. He said that, like... He had to go to the computer store or, like, look at some computer equipment or something? Yeah. Yeah. Again, vague, 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 vague. Um, But he needed to go get some stuff. He had gotten up, and he said Rachel was still asleep while he fed Lily her breakfast, and then Rachel got up. Well, he said that he put Lily in the bed, which was normal. He would put her in the bed. Then Rachel would put Lily to bed in her room, she would sleep until whatever time, but then she would, like, get up and do her morning routine, take a shower, clean up, stuff like that. That's right. So he had fed her the breakfast and then put her back in bed with Rachel, right? Yeah. Okay. So 
then he leaves. And he says when he gets back home around 11, and that's kind of his his normal, whatever normal is for them routine, was quite confusing because he stumbles over his words it the entire time. so confusing. And like at one point, because, you know, Trooper Manning is like, okay, is that normal? Is that like what normally, ha-? you know, whatever. And he's like, well, we didn't really, ha-. at one point he says, we didn't really have a routine. And then yeah. he's like, we had this dedicated routine yeah. all the time where we would wake up at like seven, Rachel would go back down for about 30 minutes at nine. I'm sorry, Lily would go back down at nine for 30 minutes. That's impossible. And then at noon, she'd go down for two hours. Why would you put a baby down if they get up at seven, then nine, then 12? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. And he's like, and and then he kind of went back and forth on like, Rachel would get up and take her shower um, while Lily would go back down or Rachel would then go back to bed with Lily mm-hmm. at nine o'clock. I'm like, really? I don't know. It was just a lot. He was just all over the place and none of it made any sense. It yeah, was and he would confusing. He would usually feed Lily breakfast, but then... Rachel would breastfeed Lily some and uh-huh. but that's that's usually they, what they did but they sometimes that's they didn't really have a routine so who yeah. knows they usually did this but they usually didn't really do anything yeah there was nothing usual about what they did but usually they did yeah it was yeah it was super <laughs> and the trooper manning is like you cannot ride two horses with one ass no and that's exactly what he's doing this episode is brought to you by Shopify Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, you guys. Um, it's us again. Yay, it's us. We threw, we threw you for a loop on this one. <laughs> uh, so we know that a lot of you have been asking, like, WTF, where are episodes 1 through 44? And guess what? Now you can have them. So let's just remember, though, we need you to take a little caution here. We didn't know exactly what we were doing back then. And we started this podcast as just a fun thing to do as sisters. We had no idea that it would grow into this super awesome club with you guys. So what we're saying is the audio wasn't super amazing, but the content is 100% us just being us and talking about some true crime with 90s flair. Okay, so here are the details. You'll be able to access our what we're calling OG episodes in your favorite podcast app through a private and custom RSS feed link. So to grab that, head over to killerqueens.link slash O 
G and snag episodes one through 44 today. That's killerqueens.link slash OG. So he gets back around 11 and he says it didn't look like either one of them had come downstairs yet. And remember, he said he had fed Lily her breakfast at like the table, I guess. He makes a point to say that initially he'd been pretty pissed at Rachel (laughs) because she didn't bother to come down and clean up. Yeah, he's like, I mean, what was she doing for these two hours? Yeah. Had she not done anything for two hours? I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. She was still in bed when you fed Lily breakfast. You go and put the baby back down in bed. You don't leave the house, sir, until you clean up your fucking mess. Mm -hmm. You're the one that made the mess, not Rachel. Yeah. So he's like, all right, got to go and expected the kitchen to be cleaned when he got back, I guess. And he was like, I mean, I just, I was just like, well, what has she even been doing these two hours? What have you been doing these two hours? Exactly. You've been fucking around looking at computer shit, like whatever. Um, So he said he went into the master bedroom and he said at first he could only see Rachel and she looked like she was asleep. He said he thought it was weird that she'd still be asleep. And I was like, but didn't you just say she lays back down with her? Anyway. Um, but he the didn't answer know where Lily to all was. of that is yes. Exactly. And also no. Um, so then he gets closer to the bed and he says that he finally sees Lily. And he can tell, mm-hmm. he can tell that they're both dead. Didn't touch them, didn't try to rouse them, didn't nothing. No. Check for pulse. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Trooper Manning is like, did you touch him? Did you try to? Yeah. Any of that stuff. And he's like, well, no. And he's like, well, how did you know they were dead? He's like, well, it was obvious they were dead. And he's like, well, have you seen dead bodies before? He's like, well, not other than on TV. He's like, you didn't even, you didn't even try to take their pulse. Like, wouldn't you think that if you're finding your wife and daughter they're not responding to you mm-hmm. and you're concerned about them, wouldn't you touch them to see if they are warm? If right. they are breathing, you might try to give them CPR. Well, I was going to say, I don't know how to give CPR. I should probably look into that. But I would call the... Uh, here's what I hope I would do. Now, it's hard to say what you would 100% normally, you know, out of the gate every time. If something like this happens, what you would do for a fact. Because... No one can say really unless they've been in that situation. But here's what I would like to think that I would do. Touch them. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Can I rouse them? Are they going to wake up? Are they actually sleeping? No? Mm -hmm. Okay, next step. Call police. Then they can walk because they will walk you through CPR. Uh Uh-huh. Is there any way we can fix this situation? Yeah. Is there there any aid I can render? Right. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, no, I mean, it just definitely looked like they were really dead. Um, so, and he said he didn't see any blood on Rachel, but there was blood on Lily. He said her onesie was soaked in blood and the blood was covering her face. So again, instead of rendering any type of aid, touching either of them, he just pulls the covers over them. And then he says his first thought, his first instinct was to go downstairs and get a knife And he said he wanted to um, be with them, whatever. But he couldn't do it. And he said, I think it was almost the thought of how much it was going to hurt. I couldn't do it. He he couldn't stab himself because it would hurt too bad. Hmm. Which, for a normal person, that's awful. 
for him, fuck off. Mm-hmm. So he said, and then I realized what I needed to do was let Priscilla know. So he says he gets in the family's SUV. He drives toward Priscilla and Joe's house. And as he drove, he's like, you know what? And then I started thinking, like, Joe keeps guns in the house. So maybe I could use one of those to end my life. You know, I could I could just get a gun. When he got to Joe and Priscilla's house, he realized that he didn't even have a key. Neil said that they had a copy of their house key on their car key, but Rachel must have taken it off. So he just, he didn't have it. So he couldn't get into the house. So he just kind of sat there for a while. Then he drove around for a while to try to find Priscilla's work, but he got lost and he couldn't find it. So he just drove around some more. And then he said he just wanted to go somewhere to clear his head. And and he just sort of ended up at the airport um, <laughs> accidentally, really. Yeah. Um, He pulled into the parking area for a while, and he said that he'd wanted to let his emotions out, but he just couldn't cry. So he gets out of the car, he walks around for a while, and then he goes in and he buys a ticket home. Okay. Um, So, and again, I can't say what I would do. And we do a lot of, you know, you can't, you can't crucify or prosecute somebody just for the way they act. I get that all day long. If you, if your first thought, let's say he's telling the truth, which he's not, but let's say Mm. he is. If your first thought was, I got to call Priscilla, not the police, which I don't, and honestly, I can't tell you which order I would do that in. Call loved ones first or call police. Those are, those two make sense to me Mm -hmm. to get those mixed up. But if you want to tell Priscilla, a call would be a lot quicker to do that because they live an hour away. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Then driving around. Yeah. Yeah. Can't pick up the phone call. Exactly. Like, wouldn't want to have to do it that way. It'd be better in person, but. Right. But if you need to get that information out quickly, then a phone call is going to be a hell of a lot faster than wandering around for two hours. Yeah. And hoping you run into her. Right. Somewhere in the state of and Massachusetts. And then eventually never, ever getting the information to her. Yeah. Just being like, well, I did everything I could. Can't get right. this to her. So I'm just going to leave the country. Right. I mean, people 200 years ago did a better job of getting information to other people. Well, yeah, and Trooper Manning is like, I'm just really, 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 really confused as to why you didn't at any point call 911, not even try. And he's like, you know, I just, yeah, I don't know. I just, I didn't think to call police. I I don't know why I did things the way I did. It it just, uh, it just like, I just couldn't get my head clear to think about it. (laughs) But then he's like, well... And then the only thing I could think to do once I landed, you know, at the airport by accident, just drove and drove and drove drove until all of a sudden I'm just like, well, fuck, here I am at the airport. Then he's like, the only thing I could think to do was like, I needed to be with my family. Again, it'll be a lot quicker to get some input from your family to call them. Mm -hmm. But he didn't do that. He got on a plane and flew to them, which is like... It's like six hours minimum. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like... And he's like, I just wanted to be with my family. He, he still has not called the police. Like, Mm-mm. and how has his family not told him to? I know it. I don't understand. So then Manning tries to indirectly ask Neil, could anything have happened to Rachel and Lily that may have been caused by him? And basically is trying to do the like, I'm sure you're a really good guy, but accidents happen kind of thing, right? Right. So he says, I'm wondering, was there any kind of situation that took place at the house that caused you to immediately, instead of calling police, want to kill yourself? 
And he's like, God, no, no. And he's like, are you sure? I'm trying to rule out all the possibilities. And Neil just keeps saying no. And he's like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, I couldn't do that. Why would I do that? Like, he's so incredulous. Like, how could you even think I could do something like that? Mm -hmm. It, it, It wasn't me. I got home and found them dead. And Manning says, I don't know. It could be a million reasons. It could be no reason. I'm asking you if a situation took place that was out of character for you and your wife and the situation happened. And he says, no, nothing. It was just a normal day. It was a normal day. But like, I don't know, just the way he answers these questions and stuff, it's, it's bizarre, Right. It's absolutely bizarre. I mean, I feel like Manning did a really good job keeping his composure and being like, the fuck is wrong? Like, Mm -hmm. not being like, what the fuck is wrong with you? So, despite knowing that both his wife and daughter had been murdered, and he says by somebody else, for several days, he told Trooper Manning that he still hadn't cried. And he said, quote, it almost doesn't seem real. It's just a void. Because he's like, you know, I'm over here and they're over there. And it kind of doesn't really seem real because I'm not even in the same country as them. Mm-hmm. And Manning is like, well, it's real. Let me tell you right yeah. now, it's real. Th- <laughs> this is happening. Um, So then he asks him, like, and this is a two-hour conversation. So we're condensing it immensely. Um, But he's like, what do you think happened to them? What do you think could have happened to them? And he is like, I don't know. Um, I don't remember seeing anything in the house disturbed. Um, and he's like, and I was gone for such a short amount of time, and we really didn't have a routine. So it's not like anybody would have known I would have been gone. You know, we'd only lived there for a short amount of time, and nobody would have known our routine that we don't have, that we do have, but we don't have. Yeah. So, like, how could anybody know to come in right then? Yeah, right when I leave. And he's like, I just don't really see how someone could have killed them. Mm. So the entire phone call between Neil Entwistle and Trooper Manning only furthered the police's suspicion that Neil was involved in um, in his family's murders. I think that that is... Maybe an understatement, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that like solidified, like, um, we are a hundred percent sure he did it. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, inside of the family's BMW parked at the airport, investigators found Neil's laptop. The first concerning thing found on the computer was evidence that Neil had been selling fake computer equipment on eBay. And I think that's bad. That's bad. Yes. There were a lot of emails from people who'd purchased items from Neil but never received anything. From even more concerning were the emails and multiple websites that they'd found Neil had been visiting. So some of these websites were called Naughty Nightlife, Hot Local Escorts, and Adult Friend Finder. And they were regularly visited. On his profile on one site, he wrote, quote, I need to confirm what friends have told me, that you are much better in bed than the other or than the women over the ocean. Gross. Uh, there was also a picture of him fully naked and sitting in a chair. Yeah, and I can't tell if he blurred this, like, if he did the blur job on it. The blur job? Wow. You know, like, where it's pixelated. No, and- I get what you're saying. It's oh, like The okay. Sims, but... um, Yes. But or- I just don't, because the blur job. It's like, blow job, blur job. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, I can't tell if he did that, because the the blur on the picture where his dick would be is huge. <laughs> and he, like... <laughs> 
had some things that he searched for that were like how to live with a big penis or something like that crazy. Like, I can't remember. There was something about that or like... It's such a problem that he needs support. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like (laughs) insane. So I don't know if like he... He it's did that to make it look so larger. Big. Or, yeah, exactly. Oh okay. my gosh. Okay. Okay. Um, so he wrote messages to women saying that although he was in a relationship, he wanted to have some more fun in the bedroom. And there were searches that had been made on January 16th, which is four days before Rachel and Lily were killed. Someone under the username ENT or INT asked Google, quote, how to kill with a knife. Police found a file full of collection notices addressed to the Entwistles from when they lived in England. But Neil's parents aggressively denied that their son had anything to do with the deaths of his wife and baby. Aggressively is such an understatement. Mm -hmm. In fact, they told police that they suspected that Rachel was suffering from postpartum depression that was getting increasingly worse. On February 1st, Rachel and Lily were laid to rest in the same coffin at St. Peter's church in Plymouth, Texas. Texas? In Plymouth, Massachusetts. Oh. I was like, yes, Texas. <laughs> Did you just accept it? Because you didn't even get on to me. Um, in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Neil's name was not mentioned in their obituaries. They weren't mentioned, or he wasn't mentioned during the service or on their graves. Priscilla decided to use Rachel's maiden name of, Sa- is it Souza? Souza. Souza. Yeah. I... Sure. I, I'm not. I'm not totally sure the pr- correct pronunciation. I know. I, hopefully, I don't even remember how I said it. You said Sousa. Okay. Priscilla decided to use Rachel's maiden name of Sousa for both her daughter and granddaughter. So, did if you it, just quick question? Do you guys think that Neil traveled back to the United States to attend the funeral? Sure. Hell no, he didn't. He didn't do it. He did, however, send a single orange rose and a single white lily with a note reading, quote, my orange rose and my lily forever or for always, XOXOXO. Okay, well, that's the same. Yeah. That's the same as actually going to your daughter and wife's funeral. I had a friend who had a death in his family. I had never met the person who passed. And personally, I did not know what I was doing when I ordered these flowers. I somehow managed, it seemed, the price seemed right. I ordered the biggest display of funeral flowers of all times. It's actually kind of embarrassing. I didn't know how big they were going to be. Oops. I did more than this man did. Someone that I didn't even know mm-hmm. because it was a friend of mine. Then he did his own wife and daughter. I'm just saying. I mean, That's... yeah. Okay, I found what I found what the penis thing was. I'm sorry. Okay. So he some of this, you know, he ran all these scams. So like he sold the fake, you know, stuff Computer, never sent uh-huh. it, yeah, on eBay. He also had <laughs> he had some websites. One was a porn hosting website called millionmaker.co.uk which claimed to make subscribers $6,000 a month within six months and deephotsex.co.uk, a live sex website. Um, Deep hot sex. Oh, yeah. That's the kind of sex I like. Mm. Um, And then under the pseudonym Mark Smith, he sold various book titles from uh, one of his companies, 
including the best-selling 600 famous cheesecake, fudge, and truffle recipes, <laughs> and the Big Penis Manual. And in parentheses, it says, no pills, no pumps, no surgery. Big Penis Manual. Is this something that you read and then you and then your penis becomes larger because of reading? I, <laughs> how does that happen? I don't know. I... Got no words for you, girlfriend. I have no idea. Yeah, so apparently you can just like look at you can look at an ebook and your penis gets bigger. Oh. Well, if that was the case, mine would have been way bigger a long time ago. Well, now in my dad wrote a porno. <laughs> if you go to Brazil and get the penis enlargement surgery, it's an add-on and it's expensive, but you can actually get your semen to turn fluorescent blue if mm. you want. That sounds there will be some peeling. Oh. And a lot of the skin will come off at first. Um, but eventually the penis skin stays intact. Okay. So those are just some of the risks of surgery. That's all. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So there anyway, we have it. I know uh, a lot about penis enlargement now. Yes, you do. Mm-hmm. Many different ways and variations of att- uh, attaining obtaining this massive schlong. Yes, exactly. All right, so back to the story. Um, yep. Neil's parents said that it was on legal advice that he didn't intend the funeral and that it would turn into a madhouse if he did. Hmm. They said it was supposed to be Rachel and Lily's day. Mm-hmm. The press, however, assumed that Neil feared being arrested. Which is exactly yeah. what it was. Yeah, do you know why they thought that? Because it's the truth. Yeah, I mean, why did he leave the country and not notify the police of his family's deaths yeah well if you give it time his parents will tell you why well that's true yeah so at this point neil is still in workshop he's living a relatively normal life he was reportedly going out to eat with friends he was going to the movies um but police in massachusetts were not going to put up with his bullshit they issued a warrant for his arrest on february 8th Neil was arrested on February 9th in a train station after boarding a tube train when he heard that police were on their way to arrest him. His friends, I'm sorry, his friend, Dashell. I'm going to say Dashell. Dashell? Okay, I'm sorry. I don't know how to say this. His friend Dashell said that officers had called him telling him to get his friend to turn himself in. And Dashell said that when he told Neil that while on the train, Neil panicked and asked him if there was any other way of getting off the platform. And you know what he said to him? They don't have the tube technology. Oh. I was like, are you going to start seeing runaway train? I'm not sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and of course, unfortunately for Neil, there wasn't, and he was just taken into custody. He had a notebook with him, and this notebook had a note reading that he intended to sell his story of what truly happened to Rachel and Lily to the highest bidder. There were two drafts of letters to editors. In one in one of the notes or letters, he referred to himself as a quote, quote, when you said he had a notebook and in that notebook had a note, it reminded me... <laughs> It reminded me of Miss Susie had a steamboat. The yeah. steamboat had a belt. It's like Neil had a notebook. The notebook had a note. Like, yeah, it's, it's, I, 
<laughs> and in that box was a notebook. Yes. <laughs> it was implied that in the notebook there was a note. Yeah. <laughs> I, I said it and you didn't fuck was it going with to, me. And then I was, I was just trying. like, I'm just going to keep moving along. I was trying to lock it up, but I could Once you stumbled the second time, I was like, all right. That notebook was a note. <laughs> That was that, that was a whoopsie. <laughs> That's um, really funny. So in the notebook that had the notebook that had the note, yes. in one of the letters after the note in the notebook, <laughs> he referred to himself as a quote, close friend and confidant of Neil who wanted to tell his story. And he added, What's of interest to us is what price you would be willing to pay for exclusive rights to the full story. Fuck that guy. This is not even a month after his wife and child, he says, have been murdered by somebody else. It's like two and a half days since they've been laid to rest. Yeah. I mean. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. In his backpack, they found what appeared to be a letter, but upon further inspection, investigators believe it was part of the memoir he was writing with the intent of selling it, and it read, quote, As a husband, I could never dream for more. She was my soulmate and my very best friend. The love we shared knew no bounds, except for all of your online Sexcapades, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the love we shared knew no bounds, a love that brought on comfort and excitement. We would model our love on four roses, red for passion, yellow for fidelity. <laughs> brought his fucking audacity Which with him today. Which is the one for uh, lying, for lies. Yeah, exactly. And white for pure love. The combination now, of these roses. I'm glad he continued because I was like, uh-uh, bitch, that's, that's three. three. That's three. Is the orange. And that is what we are to each other. Everyone who has been in her company will have been touched by her kindness, her love, and her energy. And that's what I hope people will remember most. The nerve. The nerve. The nerve. Just a few days later, Neil was extradited to the United States. And on March 28th, he was indicted on two counts of first-degree murder, illegal possession of a firearm, and illegal possession of ammunition. Neil pled guilty. I'm sorry, pled not guilty to all charges. 
At a press conference, the Middlesex County District Attorney Martha Coakley told the press what she and the police believe happened on the weekend that Rachel and Lily were found dead. Now, listen, I sometimes do not enjoy when attorneys and, you know, police officers and sergeants and things like that are like, here's what we believe happened. Because I'm Uh like, but how? How do you know that? This one's dead on. It is. It really is. So she says, quote, on Thursday night, Rachel was alive and had spoken with family members. At some time on Friday morning, Neil Entwistle, with a firearm we believe he had secured sometime before that from father-in-law Joseph Matarazzo, shot Rachel Entwistle in the head and then proceeded... (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, You were doing so well. I was doing so good. Okay. Nothing gold can stay. I guess not. Um, (laughs) Shot Rachel Entwistle in the head and then proceeded to shoot baby Lillian, who was lying on the bed next to her mother. Mm. We believe possibly this was intended to be a murder-suicide, but we cannot confirm that. Obviously, the murder was affected, but the suicide was not. And here's why I think that this is dead on. Because the... The crime scene, all of the, why can't I think of the word? Um, the evidence. Oh, yep. <laughs> I know. I'm so stupid. Um, the evidence, the timeline, everything contributes to this theory, right? Yes. And also, yeah. they didn't go way overboard with the details. They're like, here's what we think happened. And it's kind of a bare bones, this is what happened. They didn't embellish it at all. Yeah, yeah. And remember, Neil said that he had gone, he drove to the Matarazzo's house Mm -hmm. because he knew that they kept guns there. Right. So he was saying he went there after the murder to try to find a gun to kill himself. Which I think he did. No, no, I think he went to the, I went to, he went to their house. Yes, I think he went to their house. He got the gun. No, and I'm saying I think he it, went to the house. He, he went to the house and gave it back. Not because of the reasons why he said he went, though. Right, yeah. I think he went there and put it back so they wouldn't notice that it was gone. 100%. But I think he used her her mother and stepfather's gun to kill them. Absolutely. And he knew, I mean, where else? Like, that's the easiest place for him to get a gun. And then he has a key to their house. And he knows their schedule and when they work and when they don't. And he used to live in the house. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. There were several postponements of Neil's trial requested by his defense attorneys, citing a need for more time to analyze evidence, including DNA results and other lab results. In 2007, the judge ruled against the defense's motion to suppress evidence collected during and after the finding of Rachel and Lillian's bodies. Neil was held without bail in the Middlesex County Jail until his trial finally began more than two years later on June 2, 2008. Okay. We forgot to tell you your window opens, Gail. Mm-hmm. If you're new to KQ, we let you know. Because basically, a lot of these cases are so infuriating that you're going to want to throw all your shit out the window. None of mm-hmm. your stuff's going to be left. Um, and just a quick disclaimer as well. If somebody is in your house, uh-huh. you can love them with everything you've got. Sure. Once the rage mm-hmm. and the anger overcomes you, their asses are out the window. And that they can't blame you because your hands are tied. What are you supposed to do? Absolutely. I mean, everything's got wrong go. place, wrong time. Exactly. Wrong place, wrong time. And they'll be fine. They can just walk back in only to be pitched right back out again, but still. Exactly. Um, so you're going to want your windows 
that no, you know what? You want you want to feel the glass break on this one, I think. Yeah, you do. Either that or you got to wrecking ball that shit. You got a Miley Cyrus come in like a wrecking ball, take the whole thing out mm-hmm. and just, just yep. push it all off like a cat doing anything on a tabletop. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And this is very reminiscent of Chris Watts too. Oh, yeah. Neil's defense was that Rachel had murdered their daughter and then turned the gun on herself, all because she had postpartum depression. Now, postpartum depression is a very real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, to blame, the, it's very obvious that he committed this crime. There is plenty of evidence to back that up. And for him to walk into that court and just trash his wife and daughter's memory, you already killed them. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to blame it on her? And... And hear me out on this. I'm not trying to dumb it down so much that this is, I know for a fact that these are not the same things and they're not the same levels of intensity. I absolutely know that. Has, and I'm saying this because if you have a a monthly time of the month And something happens and somebody who does not have one of those says, oh, is it that time of the month again? Mm-hmm. Do you know how mad you get? Yeah. Um, I cannot imagine Rachel's family yeah. hearing this and hearing him blame this awful tragedy on, well, she must have been, she must have had postpartum depression. Because again, I am, I'm aware, I've never experienced it myself, never, I'm aware that it is a thing. And postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis. Right. Completely different. Completely different. Yeah. I mean, it's just awful. To do something so terrible and then to be like, well, she did it because she's crazy. uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And just wait till you hear what his mom has to say after this. I can't. Oh, you just wait. So that's his defense. Then, okay, so he says... Rachel murders Lily and then turns the gun on herself. And then he says, in an act of honor, he removed the gun from the scene and left. Because hmm. remember, he didn't shoot the gun, but you're going to find his prints on the gun because he took the gun out of there so that it didn't look like that's what happened. Hmm. Um, they said that there was gunshot residue found on both sides of Rachel's hands. They said. But again, if these are contact wounds, like... That is possible as well. Right. But yeah, they said. Despite the evidence, Neil's parents continued to defend their son. They backed up his story that Rachel and Lily were killed in a murder-suicide. Neil's father said that, quote, the gunshot residue on Rachel's hands could have suggested that she fired the gun. And she was found with her left arm, and she was left-handed, flung out. We loved Rachel's We loved Rachel dearly. She was little Lily's mom. But in the grip of postpartum depression, she could have fired those shots. The prosecution had no issues poking holes in the defense. They brought forward witnesses who told stories of what Ed Whistle had told them regarding things that he owned and his finances. It was also found that Neil had 18 credit cards that were all maxed out, except for one, which... He maxed out at the airport on the day he fled the country. He had accrued at least $30,000 in debt. 18 credit cards. 18 credit cards. And Rachel knew nothing about this. 
Now he kept telling her, "Don't worry, don't worry. I've got the finances handled. Yep, everything is fine." Now I do not have a credit card because I don't care about my credit score. Apparently, Um, I don't have a credit card anymore. Um, Is eighteen an a normal amount of credit cards to have open at one time? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. When I had credit cards, I had the two. One was for business. One was for personal. I think 17 is kind of like top tier. Oh, so so, yeah, he went over. The high end, you got 17. You know what I mean? 18. That just seems like so much. That's so much. I mean, that's... Crippling debt. Yes, it's crippling debt. It is. It should be illegal for them to let you take out that many fucking credit cards. Well, they... But they do it because they know you're never going to pay it back. And then they'll throw your ass to collections. And yeah. yeah. Um... Also, this is not the first time that a motive for murder would be to hide intense amounts of debt. No. Or to get money from a life insurance policy to pay it back. You know, like that definitely does happen. Or let's just say that that isn't even a part of the equation. It is. But let's say it's not. I don't even need that. Um We've talked about people getting murdered because the husband just wants to get his rocks off with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, I cannot remember the the names in this case, but there was one case where the husband had said he was going to to some college and he was supposed to graduate, but he actually wasn't going to college there. He was like doing something else. And so in order to... Um, not be found out. He killed his wife. Mm. I so mean, she wouldn't find out that he wasn't actually going to college. Yeah. Goodness. I mean, come on. Um. So remember we said, we thought that Neil had gone back to return the gun that he'd used to kill Rachel and Lily. Well, the prosecution was able to confirm that one of Joe Matarazzo's guns was, in fact, the murder weapon. Can you imagine being Joe and Priscilla and having to find that out? Oh, my gosh. Neil's DNA was found on the grip of the twenty-two Colt revolver, as well as an ammunition container and a gun lock. Mm. Rachel's DNA was found both in and on the muzzle of the same gun. And Joe confirmed that he had taken his son-in-law shooting before teaching him how to shoot this twenty-two. And again, of course, you do not think that that person is going to turn around and kill your stepdaughter and granddaughter. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. After 13 hours of deliberation, the jury found 29-year-old Neil Itwistle guilty of two counts of first-degree murder, as well as illegal possession of a firearm and ammunition. The next day, he was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. In addition to these sentences, the judge also said that Neil was, quote, not to profit in any way from the sale of his book or otherwise to any media outlet. Priscilla and Joe were happy with the sentence, but of course they realized nothing was going to bring back Rachel and Lily. Priscilla said, quote, our dreams as a parent and grandparent have been shattered by the shameful and selfish acts of one person, Neil Entwistle. For him to try to hide behind an accusation of murder-suicide of this beautiful woman and perfect mother is low and despicable. Suffering does not begin to describe what we have endured. God. The jury's decision and the judge's sentencing did not dissuade Neil's parents from their belief of their son's innocence. And also, there's physical evidence, and they're just choosing to not believe that. I'm sure they—from what—no, I'm not going to say it. 
They just seem to take him at his word for everything. So I just feel like they probably don't believe any of the other stuff. Like, you know who his mom kind of reminds me of? Not the way that she looks necessarily and maybe just because she's British, but also this whole like just choosing not to see it. Simon Monjack's mother. Oh, I could see that. Don't you see a little bit of that attitude there? Like, yeah. Because, okay, this is what Neil's mom said at right after the sentencing at the press conference. She said, we are devastated to learn that the evidence points to Rachel murdering our grandchild and then committing suicide. These are her words. I knew Rachel was depressed. Our son will now go to jail for loving, honoring, and protecting his wife's memory. I am glad that I am where I'm at right now because I would slap someone in the face. There's no one in here for me to slap. I cannot with her. Oh my gosh. What what a what a spit in the face. Uh-huh. To Rachel, to uh-huh. Lily, to the family. Yes. It point no evidence points to Rachel having done this at all. It all points to your son. Mm-hmm. And he remember he's the one, mom, that said he took the gun away. His DNA is all over where it would be if he pulled the trigger. Mm-hmm. And then he brought it back to Joe and Priscilla. But he lied about that. And he also, like, all of his friends in um, London, he told them that he did, in fact, drive over to Joe and Priscilla's house, that Priscilla was home, and he let her know that they were dead before he left. He's lying all over the freaking place. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. Neil was quickly nicknamed the baby killer in prison. He was initially incarcerated at a facility in Shirley, Massachusetts. In December of 2008, Neil was transferred to a medium security prison in Bridgewater due to multiple threats on his life. Neil reportedly shaved his head in order to join a white supremacist gang who promised him security in prison. Yikes. However, he was then told by the gang's leader that, quote, it was just a prank, that his life was still very much in danger. A correctional officer said that he overheard a member of the white supremacy gang say to Neil, it's a nice gesture on your part, but we're still going to kill you. (sighs) That's one heck of a goof. In 2012, Neil appealed appealed his conviction, saying that the police illegally searched his home when they checked on his family and found their bodies. (sighs) Uh Sorry. Sorry. The okay, so in a welfare check, aren't you supposed to find the people? Like, if the people are there, like, if you go for a welfare check, it's possible you're going to find the person dead there, right? And it might yeah. be from natural causes, but like, that's what you're looking for, right? right. So, yeah. Um, the Massachusetts Supreme Court uh, rejected that appeal. And I can't stress this enough. I mean, let's say that, because again, I'm going to play devil's advocate. Neil is lying because this is not true. This is not what happened. I don't believe, because it was it was dismissed, his appeal was rejected. So clearly nobody saw any wrongdoing here. But they illegally, let's say that the police illegally searched his home when they uh-huh. checked on his family. Guess what could have avoided that? Could have all been avoided if Neil, who knew by his own admission that he he knew that his family was dead. Yes. If he gave a quick little, quick little ring to anybody. Yeah. Literally to anybody. If he would have stayed. Um... You know, there are things that could have been done, right? Yeah, mistakes were made. Mistakes were made. Sucks to suck, Neil Entwistle. Yeah. Um, We did. Did we forget to thank Madison for this? Yes, we did. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Thank you to Madison for writing this one up. And thank you to Chris Carpentier for suggesting it. 
Yes. Thank you so much. Yes. And that's the end of the case, you guys. Let us know what you think, what your thoughts are about it. Um, How much stuff you threw out of your own window. Exactly. Yeah. All the things we want to know. Yes. But thank you so much. We love you and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Okay, you guys. It's shout out time. Yippee. Yeah. But Tori, what's the real name of what this time is? Fucking your name up. Yeah. We've we've been doing it week after week. We're just fucking them up. Mm -hmm. And here we go. Some of our newest patrons who are, and at this point, I mean, you're asking for it, right? Yeah. You know, it's going to happen. Uh, so some of our newest patrons, thank you so much to Bailey Rosales, Stephanie Stevens, Robin, Anisha Arroyo, Danica Goller, Kylie Delph, Leah, Angel Ballas, Randy Stanfield, Anna Hussey, Kyla Pecorero, Kila, Erica Hendrick, Kara Rose Hicks, Sarah Lyman, Lehman, Limon. Yeah. Is it with a Limon twist? Okay. Liliana Jensen, Tuesday Walker, Minx, Monica Lynn, Elizabeth, Tina Yurdasev, Shayla Braley, Megan Barnhart, Sarah Sunshine Centino, Marky Burcham, Natalie Smith, Nadalyn Reyes, Beverly Lynn, Sarah, Tara Kubina, Kayla Lindquist, Courtney Simbeck, Tara Shirley, Abby Condiles, Kat Dixon, Amber Moore, Jessica Gaylord, Christy Murphy, Savannah Thomas, Stephanie Stewart, Blackhand Reeves, Michaela Patria, Cuppy and Moofs, Karen Welsh, Ashlyn, Leah Spearman, and Erica Sachs. Uh, this was a particularly <laughs> <laughs> like we are just so sorry. We are so just bad. so sorry. We um, actually do not know how to read, and it's evident now. So, oh my gosh. Either way, we love you guys. Your names are all beautiful. Yes. Okay. Despite the just awful the sounds awful that came out of our mouth. that we just yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but thank you guys so much for yes. for hanging out with us and allowing us to butcher your names and hopefully not getting too angry about them. We're sorry. We love you. We love you. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.